What do you want to be when you grow up? Perhaps some of the kids have been asked that in school already as the teachers are trying to focus their attention on learning and get them ready for their future. But it might be that some adults are asking that question too. What do I want to be when I grow up? And we start thinking of all the different career choices that are before us. We've been talking about growing quite a bit this summer as we've been looking at this list of Christian characteristics that God wants us to have in our life. And as I said before, it seems that all of these characteristics so far have been focused pretty much on what they do for us. But the last two focus on what they do for others. So let's ask that question, what do you want to be or what do you want to do when you grow up? Spiritually, what do you want to be? How about this? I want to be a blessing to others. You know, oftentimes we, we look at our life and we see how we are or how we want to be blessed by God. You know, abundantly and wonderfully, according to all of our needs. But recognizing that we are so blessed, what does God want us to do now that we are grown up and blessed? To be a blessing to others. So as we continue with our series of messages on Christian character counts, today we want to focus on brotherly love or brotherly kindness. It's getting close to the end of that list that Peter presented to us in his second, list, in his second letter, where he writes, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, or sometimes translated in other Bibles, brotherly kindness. Now we've been using the growing of a tree as an illustration of our growing Christian character. Today we want to focus on those blossoms that appear on the tree. Those blossoms that attract us because of their beauty or maybe their aroma. Those blossoms are, are meant to get our attention and to do something for us. And so it is with brotherly kindness. It's meant to give off an appearance and aroma to others to do something for them. But before I continue with the message, I want to ask you this question. What is your opinion of the appearance and aroma, the blossoms, of Apostles' Congregation? Have you ever been critical of what we do or what the leaders have done? Have you ever been upset or disappointed with things? Or are there things that you like that are being done? Now, sometimes we might change the word criticism to be critique. I'm just critiquing and trying to show ways in which we can improve, and that's okay. But did you know that Jesus critiqued churches? In the book of Revelation, at the beginning, there were seven letters that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John that were meant as critiques of the seven churches in Asia Minor over which John was the overseer or bishop. And in those letters, he gave them compliments about things they were doing well, but he also pointed out some of their weaknesses, 
some complaints maybe he had about them and critiqued them. But he did so all in the spirit of love. To be a blessing to them so that they could be a blessing for others. Well, today as we look at this topic of brotherly kindness and see how we should add that to our spiritual life, we're going to take a look at what Jesus said in that letter to the church that was in Ephesus and how he critiqued them. And what comes out is he critiqued them for having lost love. Let's take a look at that letter. He tells John, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now the word angel also means messenger. And so that's understood to be the pastor of that church. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. Now that description is Jesus talking about himself. In the opening vision of Revelation, John saw Jesus walking among seven golden lampstands which stood as symbols of the Christian church, being a lamp, being a light to the community. And he was holding seven stars, which he said were the messengers or the pastors of those churches. What he was telling us or showing us was simply that God is there in the midst of his people, and God is there guiding his church. Now Jesus goes on. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. Now there Jesus was giving them some nice compliments. He was telling them they are a faithful church. They hold on to the truths of God's word and they test every teaching and expose what is false and a lie. And he tells them, you have been working very hard. You've been a very busy and active church. And you have endured some tough times. You have persevered and not thrown in the towel. Sounds a little bit maybe like Apostles Congregation, huh? That we hold to the truth of God's word and we test every teaching to see if it lines up with that truth. And we're a busy church. We have so many things going on. And we've endured and persevered through some tough times. And, and here we are now celebrating 50 years. But now Jesus also had a criticism of the church in Ephesus. He said, But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Ooh. What he's saying is, they have lost their love. Now, exactly what love? And, and how did that come to be? Let's take a look at, at the condition that they were in and, and what changed. Now, how do we find that out? <laughs> look in the scriptures. About 40 or 50 years before this letter was dictated by Jesus, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. Here's what he said about them then. 
For this reason, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, he was commending them. He was pointing out that this was a loving church. So it appears that that love they had at first was simply talking about the love they had for God and how that was reflected in their love for others. But now he tells them they had fallen from that love. He said, you abandoned the love you had at first. They lost the love and feeling. Have you ever lost anything? Now, sometimes we see how people lose a loving feeling. You know, we see boyfriend and girlfriend, and pretty soon they break up. They lost that loving feeling for each other. Or maybe, you know, we have a love for something, but then that love changes, and we don't really care about it anymore. We like something else now. Now, what happened? Why the change? Have you ever lost your car keys or a cell phone? What happened? Well, probably is you set it down someplace and you walked away. But yet we'll say something like, now where did those car keys or that cell phone go? As if they had developed legs and moved away on their own. The truth was, it's right there. We walked away from it. And that's what happened to the people in Ephesus. They abandoned. They left the love that was there that love of God and the love they were called to have for other people. As Paul will go on in this letter, after he commended them for their love for all people, he starts to point out some things that they were starting to slip in. You see, their fall wasn't one big crash that came all of a sudden. It was an erosion process, a slow slipping away. Paul will go on and he'll talk about the divisions that were in their congregation. He would remind them to stop speaking against each other. He would warn them against the greed or the selfishness that they had, just thinking of themselves and not other people, and how they were living in immorality just to please themselves. They were falling, falling away from that deep love of God and others for a love for themselves. You see, now somebody might wonder, how is it that somebody could make that kind of a fall? Well, the cause for that was pretty clear. It was all about themselves. They replaced the love of God and love for others with a love for themselves. You see, God wants us to be holders of the truth. God wants us to be busy going about his work. But we can only do that best when we have love for him first. And the people had lost that love. They had fallen from that loving relationship they had with God. Now, it's, it's interesting to observe that, as I said, there were seven letters that Jesus was dictating to the churches. This is the first letter. This is the first sin that he is calling out, the first failure of the church. And it had to do with their love for him and other people. You see, he takes love seriously. God is a jealous lover. God is jealous for us. Well, I didn't say God is jealous of us. God doesn't want to look like me. He doesn't want to look like you either. God is jealous for us. He doesn't want to lose us. 
He wants us to be his very own. And he displayed how jealous he was for us. He gave up his own beloved son to come into this world and to take our guilt upon himself and to be crushed by God's wrath so that we wouldn't be, so that we could be saved. And God demonstrates that love even more. To keep us as his own, he puts his own spirit inside of us to guarantee to us, to assure us we are his forever. And then he seals us with that spirit to protect us from the traps that the devil will set so that we will not fall away. You see, there's a perfect love that we are in. And that's why he gives that warning. Don't slip out of it. Don't lose it. Well, there is a cure for lost love. Jesus tells that church in Ephesus what needs to be done to get back into love. He says, remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He's telling us there are three things that we have to do to get back into a loving relationship. First of all, remember. Remember that love that we had at first. First, the love of God. As John himself would write in his first letter, we love because God loved us first. Remember the love that God has for you. Remember the love that God has called you to live and reflect in your life, a, a love for other people. Remember that. And then look, have you moved away from it? Have you left it aside? Then he said, repent of that. Now when we hear the word repent, we often think, oh, that means to be sorry. Have a lot of sorrow over something. And that's okay. But in the original language, the word repent means change your mind. Turn around, turn away from what was there and turn to the right thing. Now, I've, I've got to make a, a, a confession here for you, and this is a little hard. I used to be a Green Bay Packer fan. <laughs> but then I turned around. You know, I grew up in that land, so what do you, what do you expect, right? Then I come to California, and I saw other pro teams and other college teams, and, and now I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> hey. And even though they lost to the Niners, I'm still a fan. But I turned my thinking around. That's what God wants us to do in regard to our lost love. Turn around. Turn back to him. Turn back to recognize what is so important. That also has to be followed by action. Jesus said, repent and do again what you did at first. And so he's reminding us to renew our love for him and for others, that there should be action that follows with that attitude. How can we do that? <laughs> that seems pretty tough when we struggle inside, when we have that sin nature warring against us. When we look at the Apostle Paul's advice in the letter he wrote to this church in Ephesus, we see how you can renew love. Let's look at his words. For this reason I kneel before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see what he's telling us and how to be renewed in love? Go back to the source of love. Pray to God for that help. Let him fill you with his spirit. And that spirit will take you like we've illustrated here. And he will put you like roots into his love that you may draw up his grace and love into your hearts. We can't renew on our own this love for God and love for others. It comes from the love of God himself. So grow in that knowledge, grow in that grace, and let it blossom out that you will show that love of God to others. So have you lost that love and feeling? Oh, that love and feeling. I'll stop singing or I'll, or I'll lose your love. <laughs> <laughs> but as we are reminded that Jesus was there walking among those lampstands, he's walking among us too. He's there with his love to comfort us, to assure us. And he's there with his law to show us where we're falling short. Will we look at it? Will we listen to him? How are you doing in your love? Is the appearance and aroma of God's love evident in your life, in your relationships, and in us as a congregation? Or have we lost that appearance to others? You know, we might think, well, you know, we're a pretty busy church. We do a lot, and we're so faithful to the word. But if it doesn't start with love, that love of God, it's just a lot of busyness and a lot of knowledge. When I was uh, looking for an image of our church on Google, <laughs> this image was there and a whole bunch of others for Apostles Lutheran Church San Jose. It's a Buddhist temple. And I thought, what in the world? So I clicked on it to find out why it was there. And it's a reference to an old German Lutheran church in San Francisco. The congregation just kind of shriveled away. And so they turned their church over to a new owner who made it a Buddhist temple. They lost their lampstand. God's presence, God's love going out to the community was not going to be through them. We don't want that to happen with us individually or as a congregation. We can get the love and feeling back. Here's how we can grow to have a living love in our life. First of all, we need to recognize that this is our purpose. This is what God has called us to be individually and as a congregation. A blessing to others. Before I, I had this picture up on the screen, 
of a drop of water going into a puddle. And you see what happens when that drop hits the puddle. It ripples out. It reminds us that as we have been blessed, so we can affect the lives of others to be a blessing to them. We can be the blossoms on the tree with our beautiful appearance and with our aroma, sending out the love of God. Now, how do we do that? Let's listen to Jesus. Going back to that letter that he writes in Revelation to the church in Ephesus. He says, yet you do have this. He's going to give them a a compliment on a good point. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were a, a sect within, started within Christianity, and they were basically teaching, well, if God always forgives you, then it really doesn't matter how you live, because if you're doing something wrong, you're going to be forgiven, so just live any way you want, because you're forgiven. And Jesus says to that church, I'm glad that you hate that teaching and that practice. So the first thing to do to be a loving church is to hate what's wrong, to hate what's evil. Now, I know that word hate is a strong word, but this is what always comes to my mind when I hear the word hate. I hate fish. I got to tell you, I hate fish. I hate seafood. When I walk, I'm not kidding. When I walk down the grocery store and I go past the meat department, you know, and they got those fish laying out there, this is true. I have to look the other way because they make me sick. <laughs> I can't stand the sight of them. I don't want to smell them. I hate fish. That's what God wants us to do toward evil, to hate it so much that I don't want to look at it. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to smell it. Hate what evil is. And then, rather, have a heart for what's good. For the love that God wants to show in our life. Let's go to the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. And there he gives us some ways in which we show we have a heart for good. He writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's simply urging us then to live in harmony with one another. To live in harmony. Now, you know what harmony is. Uh, you know, we got great musicians here, you know, and, and Jordan there on the piano, if she would play away, you know, you want to hear any, any discord, any disharmony there, but if I went over there and played, oh boy, okay, you know, a chord is simply a combination of several notes, three, four notes, and if just one of those notes is wrong, you got some discord. So what do you do to change it? Well, first of all, you would tell me to get off the piano bench, <laughs> but you wouldn't change all the other notes, you would change the one that's wrong, so that it's in harmony with the others. And so we have to look and how are we interacting with other people? Are we creating disharmony? Then we need to change to bring about harmony. Paul goes on. He says, now speak the truth in love and you will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. What he's telling us there is simply speak. Speak lovingly. Speak the truth, but in a loving way. That means maybe we have to correct others, but do so in a loving way. Use your words to comfort and encourage, to build and so up one another and support one another in love. Now Paul also says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Simple directions, be kind and forgiving, just as God is toward us. And then he talks in specific about our, our life and our relationships. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Then he gets real specific about relationships. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then he goes on and he talks about children and parents and workers and bosses. In all of that, he's simply giving us the encouragement. In your relationships, live with love for the other person. So, hate evil, have a heart for the good, and then Jesus gives one more encouragement. I'm coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Hold on to what you have. We love him because he first loved us. We have the love of God in Jesus. And look at that love. Look at what Jesus did to give himself up for us, to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, to rise again and break the bonds of death so that you and I will live forever. And therefore, God gives this promise to us when we live in love. Jesus writes, Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. There he reminds us of that first blessing he gave to man. Eternal life, pictured in that tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus says, Now hold on to me and my love for you, and you will be blessed forever. You probably all recognize the Nike symbol, the swoosh. 
1964, a coach from the University of Oregon decided he and one of his fellow uh, former athletes would start a, a company that would produce the best quality sports gear. It was called Blue Ribbon Sports. A few years later, because it was so successful, because their business philosophy of excellence in what they were doing worked, they changed their name to Nike, which is the Greek word for victory. That's the word Jesus used when he says, to those victors, to those who have overcome, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Jesus is the one who has overcome. He's the victor over sin, over death, over devil. And he has given that victory to us. So God's promise is to us, be a blessing. You then will be blessed forever. Have you lost the love and feeling? Get it back. Simply look at the victory that is yours in the love of God and then desire to live to be a blessing to others. Amen.